0: Head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle O'Kidenorl, founder of leading Australian podcast agency and 2021 Australian podcast awards finalists, The Peers Project and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Do you think you can learn to be an entrepreneur, peers? That starting something for yourself can be taught? You probably know what I think. I like to think I've been helping entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs-to-be learn and feel less alone for 240 episodes, which is why I felt I had a lot in common with this week's guest, a veritable expert in entrepreneuring. Today's guest, Elise Burden, co-founded Real World Scholars, a nonprofit e-commerce platform that facilitates entrepreneurship as a vehicle for learning and supporting the classroom. Over the last almost decade, Elise helped 50,000 students generate half a million dollars by reminding them that education can take place beyond the classroom and empowering business starters, no matter how young. Elise joins the podcast today to share some of the lessons she not only learnt co-founding Real World Scholars, but has taught through Real World Scholars. Elise knows all about the energy that drives us, even when your venture isn't lucrative or even fun yet. Plus the importance of prioritising your mental health, because sometimes the best way to further a project is to step away for a bit. Before we dive in, I want to remind you to please share this episode. Take a screenshot right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that together we can share today's message and conversation with our peers out there who may just need to hear it. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome Elise. Elise, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today.
1: It is so good to be here. Thank you for having me, Michelle.
0: Of course. You know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you're doing in the education space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Well, I gave the show a listen and I thought like, wow, this is a real grown-up podcast. I feel honored <laughs> to be invited. So thank you. I hope I don't disappoint.
0: Oh my goodness. No, you're too kind. You're too kind. Amazing. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, sure. So my name is Elise Burden. I'm the co-founder and executive director of Real World Scholars. We're a nonprofit based in the United States. We partner with classrooms and student groups all around the country to start student run businesses. And it has been an absolute joy. We're about nine years old. So have been doing this work for almost a decade, but our role and my role really has been to come alongside students and teachers and walk them along an entrepreneurial journey. So I have this lived experience of starting this organization, you know, with my co-founder and also the honor of having this adjacent experience, walking through this process over and over again with creatives, with people who never thought that they were going to be entrepreneurial, and watching their ideas come to life. And so I myself, I get to do that and it's such an honor. And I also happen to be a guardian of two teenagers. So I get to like learn on all of the fronts. I feel like I'm constantly the intern and it's like my first day and we're just starting something new each day to like dive in on this new universe of learning all the time. And so it's a really fun work I get to do.
0: Oh my goodness, so fun, so cool. I can't wait to dive in to your journey and kind of how it all started almost a decade ago, which is wild to think about. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I often found to be insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far?
1: This is an interesting question. So I grew up in a suburb outside of L.A. It's where my parents met was in L.A. And so there is a really interesting thing growing up in Southern California. There's a lot happening. And I think the world kind of felt like my oyster from a young age. You know, I was like five years old, ready to get my first laptop. Laptops were not a thing that like five-year-olds should have at the time. It's really not a thing five-year-olds should have now, but but that's besides the point. But, you know, I was like ready for the business world as a tiny child. And I wanted to go into the city all the time. There was just this feeling that like all of these things were available to me because I'd seen them because I'd seen people I knew by proximity, people who had made it in entertainment or in finance or in fashion. And so it's just like, it didn't seem that hard that like I could go do whatever I wanted as well. And I think that's been an interesting part of my journey is that oftentimes I say yes and then figure out how later. So, you know, someone says like, do you wanna partner on this project? And I say, yes, like how hard could it be? And then you get into it and you're like, actually this is very hard. <laughs> I'm weighing over my head and that has happened to me many times, but I think Part of kind of just growing up in a really diverse place, parents were exposing me to different things, meant that I had a lot of possibility in my mind for myself. I'm really grateful for that. I was also a middle child and I don't know how much you subscribe to birth order theory, but you know, I was definitely getting my tokens out in the world with extracurriculars and with, like lots of people. And you see that today, like I get so much of my juice from my community and really built relationships. And so I can kind of credit that back to my childhood, and just having that need to go out into the world and build those relationships. So it's a really interesting question.
0: Oh my goodness. So I'm a middle child also. I was just nodding along as you were saying that. And so much of that is so true. Hey, we're all about going out there, building those relationships, making it happen. If we go back to that time, you know, you're five and you've got the laptop and it's all happening. How do you think your parents played a role in this? Hey, I can do whatever I want and I'm just going to make it happen. You know, what was the greatest lesson that your parents taught you growing up?
1: So my parents are really audacious people and they don't seem that way. You know, my dad was a gardener, you know, my mom was a nurse. There's nothing particularly like extravagant about them. But like, they really had a strong sense of self. Both of them have a strong sense of self. Everyone in my family has a strong sense of self. So you can imagine what the holidays sound like. You know, they always spoke to me as if I was always a full grown adult and the things that I might be responsible for, the things that I might achieve and the types of expectations that would be put on me and it didn't actually feel like a lot of pressure and maybe as an adult i look back and i'm like all right maybe there's a little bit of pressure at the time it felt really empowering so it's hard to say because there's this nurture and nature piece and i think my parents would probably say that i came out swinging even as a tiny child i had a lot to say and i had a strong sense of self but i think they definitely nurtured that in me and they modeled that for me my parents kind of go to the beat of their own drum. And that gave me permission to do the same. I
0: love that. You know, I think these days, especially we can just get so caught up and oh, you know, do I have to change how I act around this person or when I go to work or when I'm trying to do my business now? You know, it's almost become more rare that we feel really comfortable in ourselves, at least for me. You know, I'm only now in my late twenties and I just think, wow, it's only been in the last like, 18 months that I kind of feel like I'm getting comfortable in myself, you know, for our peers that they're listening, who maybe are going through that time where they're just questioning themselves and everything that they're about and, you know, what they thought they wanted to do is changing and kind of messing with their identity and how they show up, you know, what advice would you give to us around being or getting comfortable with ourselves?
1: I would say get comfortable being uncomfortable because it actually goes in cycles. I think there are two things that are true, and I think one is that you get freer the older you get. I think the more you learn, the more you unlock. I think my 30s are definitely a freer time than my 20s. And at the same time, Every stage of life, I'm embarking upon these like new and foreign experiences that make me feel totally underqualified. And I find myself all over again thinking like, oh, shit, like, am I up for the job? And so I think there is a lot about developing self-awareness and getting honest with yourself about where you're at and where things are coming from. And sometimes there is this impulse to be a constant hype person for yourself. And I'm all about duality. So like on the one hand, do it hype yourself up you've got to be your best hype woman and it is okay to acknowledge like these are the ways that i've screwed this up these are actually where some of my shortcomings are and i know for me personally i couldn't grow through some of those shortcomings and some of those weaknesses i couldn't just be honest with myself about them i felt like i had to pretend that I had it all figured out and pretend that those were actually strengths. And maybe if I just performed in a certain way, then people wouldn't realize that I actually had certain shortcomings. And I burned out really quickly. I couldn't amplify and fine tune my strengths or really work through my weaknesses because I wasn't having an honest dialogue with myself about them. And so once I started getting more honest with myself, and that was probably around like 29, 30, i could actually start doing things like outsourcing the things I wasn't great at and getting support on the things I wasn't great at and you know leaning into the things i was better at and here i am a few years later i'm 33 now been a wild couple of years. And I'm again, uncomfortable and trying new things and embarking upon our organization has experienced quite a bit of transition over the last year or two. And so I'm doing new things all over again. And part of it is not necessarily telling myself like, oh my gosh, you can do this. You're so great. But it's like, okay, how are we doing? How is this going? And where do you need more support? And where are we going to go get that support? Because you're actually not on your own in this. And that's been a huge lesson for me. I want to dive deep into your transition
0: at 2930 where you really started to feel like, okay, I can ask for that help or I don't have to know it all. What did that look like for you on kind of the business front, but also just personally? Like I feel boundaries may have shifted even with personal relationships. Talk to us a little bit about that time. You want to go there.
1: Okay. <laughs> it didn't take long. Okay. Well, I think, you know, a big part of my journey was I became a guardian at 27 to an 8 and a 10 year old, my niece and my nephew. And I was in the room when they were born. I'm super close with them. And at the time, you know, I was traveling like two weeks out of every month, working easily 70, 80 hour weeks. I was all in. Co-founder it up, right? I knew that parenting was going to be tough. I didn't Realized it was going to be this tough. And there were so many times that they're like calling me from the school office because I've forgotten to pick them up, or like there's actually no lunch meat here. There's nothing for us to eat. And I'm like, oh, shoot, again? You guys have to eat again? Because here I am, 27 and living on like almonds and coffee and like, you know, just like whatever. And so my life had this huge transition, but everything didn't transition at once, right? There were certain things that transitioned immediately. I now had these two new roommates and they were so messy. But then There were some expectations i had to change for myself and i didn't do that immediately i kept trying to go as hard as i had gone and without actually being honest about how my priorities had shifted about how my actual like time you know i used to work at night in the office like through the night sometimes because i could and i liked it and you're not allowed to do that when you have two kids at home right and so my output had to change and it took about two years of that for me to actually come to a breaking point of like losing a bunch of weight and losing a bunch of hair and like being so strung out and really having those like burnout bottom out mental health crisis where i knew that like i was not okay but it was like i was so damn stubborn admitting that like i had gotten there because there were other touch points along the way that upon that descent that i wasn't being honest with myself right and so when i finally had gotten there it was like well i really made a mess here and that mess was like onboarding partnerships that we really couldn't substantiate because we just didn't have the bandwidth. Cause I kept saying like, you know what, I'll take care of that. I can do this, give me another thing. And it's kind of funny because I've written about this a little bit. And so it's funny that you asked me to dive in here. You're quite intuitive, Michelle. There was a South by Southwest a few years ago that we were attending and we had a bunch of our people and there was a little icebreaker. And everyone was supposed to share their superpower. And I was the last person to go. And I said, you know what? I think I'm built like an ox. That's my superpower is that I'm built like an ox. Very charming thing to say about yourself. But you can just throw an endless amount of weight on my back and I'll just keep going. And that was the story that I had about myself. You know, two kids, throw it on there. I can keep going. New projects, throw it on there. I can keep going. Yes, yes, yes. Because that was how I was wired to continue to like achieve more, impress more, you know, like build more, just keep going, just keep, you know, expanding. And I really had to like get honest with myself about like, they can't all be yeses there has to be some no's. And that meant like saying no to big partnerships and kind of embarrassingly backing out of them and just saying, I'm sorry we got this far into it, but like, we can't do this. I meant like brokering new relationships with some of my coworkers and like changing how we related to one another. Because I was like, I need to only use gentle voices from now on because my nervous system is shot and I'm tired. (laughs) You know, and so I really did change like everything, like how I related to people, how I related to work, I am still unlearning so much of this. It is this ongoing process. But now I am one of the most annoying advocates in my circles for like wellness and balance because I've just seen what the other side looks like, at least for me. And it was a really long road of like recovery to like get to a place where I could digest food normally again and sleep normally again and not be just totally off the rails. And so It was quite a journey, (laughs) definitely on the other side, thanks to doctors and meds and modern medicine and good friends and all sorts of other rituals. But as I've shared my story with people, I've learned that it is so common. So many founders, especially so many entrepreneurial folks, find they're giving their entire selves, they're giving their health and their wellness over. And they don't realize it because they're so passionate and they're so attached to making it work. And then you look up and you're like, wow, I've given this many years. And this much of my health and you don't just snap your fingers and get it back. And so I'm really an advocate for more sustainable ways to build a more beautiful world. We don't have to kill ourselves to do it. I'm sure our peers out there are just deeply
0: resonating with what you're saying, because we often do find ourselves so overly passionate and so just willing to give every part of ourselves to what we're doing, to our businesses, to what we're building, because it means so much to us and we know the impact we're making. But then we forget about ourselves. And, you know, I think personally for me, even I've recently made a move to Sydney here in Oz and I live by the beach now. And just that transition of just that slower pace or like that almost permission I gave myself to go a bit slower in the last 18 months has been massive and hugely shifted, but it's tough. You know, I think the old me goes, oh, you could be waking up at six, you know, For our peers who are still there, if I don't make every second of my day worthwhile. What's even the point of continuing for those of us who are still there and are yet to kind of find that balance or make that transition? What would you say to us in terms of prioritizing what is most important?
1: You know, it's so hard because I wonder what someone could have said to me. And there's some truth to this idea that you don't know until you go. And one of the wild things for me, 2018, I was on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. And that was all around the same time that I was losing my damn mind. And that same day, I picked up my eight-year-old from school and made them dinner and got into like a tip with them about bedtime. And it was one of those moments where like, I have been given this award, this achievement, this thing. It's not like that was what I was working for, but it's very cool, like stamp of approval. And yet it actually meant nothing for my lived experience. I was still working from this place of not enoughness and physically like also being like a parent and having not enough, right? Just not enough energy to go around. And so I think one thing that comes to mind is some of my closest friends I see like once every other year now, you know, and I don't return all of their texts. And that in part is because I have made a choice to both parent, yes, but also to give so much of myself to this organization. And I'll have to reconcile that a little bit, right? And like, was it worth it? Was it worth not being there for my best friend's baby when she was born? Was it worth missing out on these really pivotal moments in my loved one's lives? Was it worth my health? Was it worth the skin conditions I developed? Is it worth it? And you don't know what the cost is going to be for you until you start to pay it. But I think part of this is really having again an honest dialogue and be honest with yourself about the cost that you're paying for that. As that evolves and as you Trade your time and your energy and your skills and your talents. Be mindful of what you're getting out of that. Because I think one reality too is you'll have so many opportunities. I think in your 20s, there is this feeling that you have to do it now because you're going to have a family later and you're never going to be this young again. And you have to prove yourself. You have to jumpstart your career and all these things. And one of the things that I've learned is I'm not going to be with Real World Scholars forever. I'm so proud of the work that we've done, but I'm going to move on. And I might move on to a new project and rws one day might die and this thing that i've built will go into the history books and won't be impacting students anymore and that's okay too but there's so much stock that we put in trying to get something up and like an artifact or a manifestation of our work a fully functioning company whatever it is for you as if it's going to be the defining point of your career or the thing that's going to give you a sense of self-worth You will have so many opportunities to put yourself on paper, to express yourself with your creativity, to build new things. It is not all here and now. And I think living your life and putting that much pressure on yourself will really make you miss out on so many of the gifts that will come to you along the way that don't have immediate value. Right. When you're so tunnel vision and I have to make this project work, this is all I care about. Well, that really rad person who came into your life who wanted to collaborate but maybe on something different who just wanted to have coffee a few times you'll miss out on that person who might be your next co-founder but you didn't take the time to build a relationship with them because you were so caught up on the thing that had to happen yesterday and you were so tunnel vision because you're so passionate like stay open there's an abundance mindset here where like the universe is trying to bring you the things that you need you don't always know the things that you need right and so stay open to the idea that you will keep building things
0: Oh my goodness, Elise, we have covered so much ground and I am just enthralled in your story and where you're at and all of the good stuff you've shared. I am mindful of your time. So I've got a couple of final questions for you. And the first one is what has been your greatest failure and win to date?
1: Okay, we don't talk about failure enough. And I think one foundation I wanna lay is just that I fail all the time. Little fails, big fails, I'm screwing things up all the time. Half the time I'm like, how do they let me stay in charge of this? I make mistakes literally all the time and I'm constantly learning from them and I'm human. So I wish that we talked about our mistakes more because I think I would have been less hard on myself along the way if I knew that everyone else was screwing up too but we grew too fast. And some of the feedback that I have gotten at various points in my tenure as the executive director here is that sometimes I can lead from a sense of insecurity and people don't say it that way, but that's how I would distill it. And what I mean by that is that sometimes the need to prove myself or feeling that we need as an organization to prove ourselves was a driving force in growing the organization. From our first year, we supported 10 classes, and our next year, we supported 250. It was bananas. And that first year, I was like on a text-based relationship with all of our teachers. We were piloting. It was small, and so much of it worked because we had these relationships. And then we exploded with no real way to fill in the gaps on all those relationships, which is one of the reasons I got a little kooky and trying to build all of these relationships with all of these teachers, right? you know, we exploded as an organization and rather than going slow and being mindful and making calculated and strategic decisions that were rooted in sustainability, we allowed for that explosive growth because we thought, who doesn't want to impact that many students? And wouldn't it be so impressive as if this young organization exploded this quickly? So then before we knew it, we scaled way too quickly with no real way to substantiate the level of programming that we had done on the front end so then we had to spend the next couple of years going back and developing all the infrastructure while supporting a massive cohort with a team of like five people to kind of sum it up one of my biggest failures was not saying no earlier not slowing us down earlier not leading from a place uh vision but from a place of insecurity where we were trying to prove ourselves a bunch and as a result allowing us as an organization me as a person as well to become stretched way too thin until we kind of ultimately snapped i talk about it as openly as possible because i think again we don't talk about these things enough but i also recognize that like it is still ongoing you know it is still an ongoing story that we're writing about how we recover how I recover as a person, and as a leader, how we recover as an organization from a pandemic and from you know having to build in all that infrastructure and then rescaling our budget properly and finding the funds for that, et cetera. It has not been easy and we're still figuring it out. Thank you for saying this, because I think that's something that I
0: personally am going through that, oh, let's scale up phase and you know, even just you saying that, and I'm sure so many of our peers listening in are feeling perhaps that similar need to prove themselves. And I think it's so common because we feel this level of insecurity. What has been your greatest win?
1: So this is interesting you asked me this because I am so poorly practiced at like naming the wins. This is the thing. I'm like talking to my therapist about it all the time. Like, can we name the good things? At the end of the day, and this is going to be a cheat answer, I'm just so damn proud of what we built. I fell into this role. I met my co-founder. I had just moved to San Diego from LA, but I wasn't even planning on staying. I was looking for something part time. I wanted something that I could like work for three months and then like get up and move abroad again because I had lived abroad before. And so fast forward nine years, I mean, I don't know when this episode's gonna air, but we're like a couple thousand dollars away from a half a million dollars in student profits. A half a million dollars. It's wild, you know, and that's like fifty thousand students have been involved. We've started over six hundred student run businesses, you know, and like my biggest win is having just a rock star network and team and just community, like I have the best friends, and I get to work with the best educators and I have the best team and like and now, as a result, because we've put together what feels like a giant Avengers team of rad folks who are carrying this work forward it's proliferated in all these states and it's running forward. Even when the team went down, when people had things going on at home and couldn't really produce in the same way, teachers kept it going because they were that jazz. So fast forward all these years, we can look at all of this impact. I don't get to take credit for this. This community gets to take credit for this, but I get to take credit for like, having an idea for a community maybe, I don't know. I don't know, like sending the starting email. That's my job is just the introduction email. But from here, they built this. I'm just so proud. I'm in awe. I could have never imagined it would go this far. Oh my goodness.
0: So, so inspiring. Look, Elise, over the last nine years, almost a decade in this business and in business yourself, you've really gone from strength to strength amongst all of the fun failures along the way. You know, you've received so much recognition for your work. And like you mentioned, you were featured, although it was a very interesting time for you on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out?
1: The first one I would say is find your people. There's an African proverb that says if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And finding your people means looking around you at the people who are like individually in your life and influencing you. But also finding that community of like-minded enthusiasts who Give a shit about the same things you care about who are riled up about the same things who want to have the same conversations who are chipping away at the same problem like go find your people we went to every conference every classroom visit every local happy hour we used all of the airline points on flights we stood at like a quarter million miles in the first few years and talking to people and building those relationships and so Even a few years in, when we were exploding, one of the reasons that was happening was because we had all of these people on the ground and they were like, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Like, I want to spread the news. And So finding your people, it's not just like a great way to grow, but it's a great way to sustain yourself. You will see yourself better in the mirrors that they provide when you can find people to have honest relationships with. So that's my first and probably biggest tip. I think the second thing is just to go slow. Give yourself permission to go slow is maybe a better modification for that. There's something about leaning into natural cycles. There's something about coming back to the natural cycles of like letting your brain, and there's so much like cool new research on how the brain works now about how like you are more likely to internalize information when you give yourself breaks. In fact, your brain internalizes information better at like 80 times the speed or something wild like that when you take a step away from your work right and so give yourself permission to step away you will do better work because of it the third thing that comes to mind for me is find your identity outside of your work there's so much in like i'm an entrepreneur I build things, these are the things I build. This is what I'm going to use to prove how entrepreneurial I am. Like you will be so impressed with this thing. And of course, these are not conscious thoughts. These are just some of the underlying feelings that we sometimes have when we really investigate them. But the reality is ideas fail. And part of being an entrepreneur is actually going through those experiences and failing and you're going to watch things die. And hopefully they're dying to make room for better things, right? Like for better projects, for better versions of your idea. You know we had about 10 versions of our idea before it landed on what it is today and we had to like start over a bunch of times and so part of that is not attaching yourself to your idea but the other part of that is finding your identity outside of your work you have to be a whole ass person And so I would encourage you to make sure you're showing up for your relationships, whether you're an aunt or an uncle or a friend or a child of parents. Show up for your people. They'll remind you that you're a whole person outside of the thing that you're building. Go be reminded that your life is not defined by the project in front of you. Again, you will come back to that project with more insights, richer insights, better connections. Your brain will be ready for the challenge. But without those breaks, you never get the chance to miss it it's been a journey. And so I think if someone would have told me those three things 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have listened, but I think it could have been helpful.
0: So, so valuable. Elise. before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work that you've done and that you're doing over the last decade, for the impact you've made, and even more so than that, for who you've become who you've allowed yourself to become. I think it's super inspiring for those of us who are in the grind, who are still at it, you know, a couple years
1: in. It's just so inspiring. So for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you for the invite. And thank you for hosting such like an honest conversation. I love talking about the work and all sorts of arenas, but this is something I'm really uniquely passionate about is the human journey behind the entrepreneurial journey. And so thank you for giving me space to share. Absolutely.
0: The final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about?
1: Really, for me, comes down to this feeling that there's just more gas in the tank. I was in college when someone gave a talk and they said, if you want to know what you're most passionate about, look for what makes you angry and there is something there and anger is really an animating force it's an animating energy and you know we've all been in places and spaces where i mean in schools like this for a lot of people where you're just every day is like groundhog's day it's like drudging on like there's no natural momentum in wanting to get up and do this thing and i think for a lot of entrepreneurs there is right there's a thing that we want to do and it doesn't feel like work and of course i want to stay up all night and i think That's the part that's actually like low key addictive, right? That's why we all do it because it's not really fun. It's not that lucrative for most people, you know? Like the real reason we're doing it is because there's this naturally occurring energy that drives us. And I think when I think about my next job, because again, I'm not gonna die at this place, it really is something I wrestle with is will I have enough passion to get up and keep going every day? I'll have to, I'll have to find whatever the next thing is. It'll have to be something that really animates me more so than what I do currently, because I love the work I do and I really can't imagine transitioning to a role where I have to like, create my own motivation every day. Are you kidding me? That sounds terrible. Oh, i benefit from getting these stories all the time of what this looks like for kids and how like the student who used to cry every day before school is no longer crying every day because they're having such a good time with their business. I get to hear all that stuff. And then I'm like, all right, I can write more emails. I can look at more Excel sheets. People do this every day without those kinds of stories. It's just bananas. I think that's the beauty. That's the benefit is that there is more energy there. And I think there is something about going where you find your energy. Stop fighting the feeling. swimming against the stream. Go where you find your energy.
0: Go where you find your energy. Oh, so good, Elise. Thank you so much. It has been absolutely awesome chatting with you. Where can we learn more about you and your amazing work and Real World Scholars?
1: You can learn more about Real World Scholars at www.realworldscholars.org. We're also on Instagram and Twitter. And then the best place to learn about me, I suppose, you can find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter, Liz Burden, Liz with a Y. That was my college name. And I hang on to it as a residual piece of my youth. So at Liz Burden, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram.
0: Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au. For your 14 day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review we produce with passion and it doesn't stop here to see what else we're up to visit thePiersproject.com or follow us on instagram at thepearsproject we'll have fresh real talk for you next week peers until then if you need inspiration look amongst your peers